we are uh, starting today uh, a super short sermon series. This is the, about as short as you can get other than what I did last week, which was a one-week sermon series. Uh, so this week we're going to do uh, the first of a two-week uh, sermon series that I'm calling Teach Us to Pray. And, and this is based on uh, Jesus responding to the question from his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Bible teaches us to end our prayers with in Jesus' name. So we pray, dear God, in Jesus' name. So who better to ask than, than Jesus himself uh, when he's asked the question, teach us to pray. So if you brought uh, your Bible along with you today, um, we're going to camp out in chapter, Luke chapter 11. Uh, so you can just open up to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to spend the next two weeks uh, talking about verses 1 through, I think it's 14, maybe 13, and, uh, but today we're just going to do 1 through 4, and then go on from there. So you can just kind of stay there. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible, you can check it out. It's going to be all on the screen, or grab a paperback Bible up there in the tool crib for free as our gift to you. Uh, we just want to put the Word of God in your hands. Uh, I just want you to want that, and because I really believe that's the lifeblood that you need. Uh, so please uh, join me in prayer, and then uh, we'll uh, get into the scripture and the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you, we adore you, we love you, we thank you for being so awesome and so faithful and so steadfast and so forgiving. We thank you for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that, that whenever we are up and down uh, in our spiritual our spirituality and our relationships with you and just our feelings, our emotions day in and day out, we, we praise you for being steady. We praise you for keeping your promises. We praise you for being solid and the foundation of our faith. God, as I begin to share this message that you've put on my heart, Lord, I pray that you will guide my words, uh, guide my heart, and, and guide those here who are, um, have trusted me to present your word today. And I thank you, Lord, for trusting me as well. And God, we also pray that you will uh, keep the Steelers healthy and help them to show the Dolphins what it's like to play in cold weather. Uh, keep them all healthy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, way back in uh, the book of, of Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve come onto the scene, and then they have Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, and Abel was the good son. Abel was the faithful son. Uh, but, but out of jealousy, Cain kills Abel, and, and now, okay, what's going to happen? But real quick after that, the, uh, Adam and Eve had another son uh, by the name of Seth. And, and Seth, this is at the end of Genesis 4. Seth, if any of you have started reading the Bible uh, this year, and you started at Genesis, and you want to go through, you, you're probably... Some of this stuff's kind of fresh in your mind, but, but um, uh, Seth is born, and he becomes the lineage of Israel. He, be, he becomes generation two uh, in, uh, the, in the world's history, in, in, in Israel, and, and it goes on from there. But at the point, Genesis 4.26, when Seth is born, Scripture says that that was when people began to call on the name of the Lord. That's the beginning of prayer. Genesis 4:26, prayer became a part of daily life. It comes onto the scene and it becomes what they're doing. And since that day, throughout world history, prayer has been part of the story. 
and continues to be part of the story. And every, to my knowledge, every culture, every people group, every religion has prayer intertwined in it in some way. But prayer takes kind of an odd life in culture, too. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Prayer takes an odd life in culture. Uh, if you pay much attention to television or to the news uh, or on social media, this would be no surprise to you. Uh, the PC police, they're not happy when prayer is present in the affairs of the state. They're not happy when prayer is present at sporting events. They're not happy when prayers present on, on television, on shows like uh, Duck Dynasty, when the Robertsons say, we have to end every episode in prayer. And if you take that away from us, then we take our show away from you. And, and, and yes, it's going to end with in Jesus' name and, and, and amen. And we're going to say that and, and, and we're going we're gonna to leave if you don't let us do that. And the PC police aren't happy with that. We don't want prayer. We don't want prayer in school. We don't want a prayer in our life. But then when tragedies happen, like what happened this past week in Fort Lauderdale, everything lights up with prayer. You notice this? The, the, the news networks are all about praying for Fort Lauderdale. All your social media are hashtag pray for Fort Lauderdale. Everybody wants to pray. And then in, in pop culture, on television shows, on sitcoms. We see prayer all the time. And, and sometimes, you know, I watch these things, prayer's kind of portrayed as, as a little bit of a joke. It, it's kind of like, you know, you're, you know, oh, well, that didn't work, or you're praying to the ceiling. But I believe that offers, as a believer, from my perspective, a glimpse into the true struggles that people have who are searching for God and knowing that there is a God. But then sometimes prayer on television is not a joke. Sometimes it, it really brings on a lot of honesty that we can, can relate to and, and honesty about people wondering if God hears our prayers or people being honest about uh, what, what prayer feels like to them. Like, for example, I, I remember watching Boy Meets World as a kid. Uh, great, great show growing up. I love Boy Meets World. Um, one of my favorites. And uh, I remember... Uh, Corey's older brother praying one time when he was having a hard time, I think trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And, and he started out with God. I, he said, God, I know it's been a while and I'm sorry, but hey, I need your help. And, 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 and we do that, right? We, I've been there where I, I say, you know, I, I'm sorry I haven't talked to you for a while, but that always leads us into kind of rushing into this series of pouring out our problems and pouring out our needs. It's like, hey, God, I'm sorry, but can you fix this for me? And, and, and God becomes more of a, hey, it, I, just, I just need you when I need you, and when I don't need you, then I'm going to brush you to the side. And, and essentially, we, we, we tell God everything in our life that needs fixed we give him this laundry list, and, and if he doesn't take care of it in the 60 seconds that we give him, then we give up and we move on with our day. We handle prayer a lot like that. But prayer in culture, prayer in TV, prayer on the news, pray for Fort Lauderdale, even though we don't want prayer in Jesus' name, in our government, in our schools, in our government schools, anything that we're doing, we don't want prayer there. But then whenever our hearts are broken, when we're in need, then we turn to God. Then we're like, you know what? Maybe we need God in our life. And, and why does that happen? 
Why does that happen? I, I think, I believe that, that this is because everyone, Christian or non-Christian, everybody knows whether they've recognized it yet in their self or not, they know that in their God-given DNA, there is a higher power. And whenever our hearts are broken, we realize that we desperately need him to intervene. We realize that we can't clean up this terrorism mess without him, so we call on his name. We can't get through the devastation of loss, so we call on the name of the Lord. And this has been in the life of humanity since Genesis 4, 26, when Seth called on the name of the Lord. Prayer. It's intricate to who we are. We need it. Lord, teach us to pray. The other thing that we do with prayer we, we've inadvertently been taught that prayer has to be reverent. We've been taught that prayer has to be something lofty, right? Like we have to use some holy language. We have to say it perfectly. We have to use church lingo. We have to use Christianese and, and use all these fancy words and these fancy structures. And if, it, if it's not said right, if it doesn't come across right, then God's not going to listen. Then God's going to be like, oh, you, aren't, you didn't cross all your T's and dot all your I's, so, you know... Sorry, not, not going to answer that one. We, we, we think that and we build that in. And, and the truth is that there has to be a, a healthy fear of God, a healthy reverence for God. Not an I'm afraid of God, but just a, I respect you. I'm in awe of you with God. But, but he just loves you. He loves you and he wants to talk to you and he wants to build a, a relationship with you. And he wants you to come to him humbly as a child with faith and just say, I'm praying to you, not because I'm scared of you, not just on the days that my life is hard, but I'm praying to you because I, I trust you and I believe that you have my good in, that you have, have my good in, in, in mind as well. And I trust you with this situation. I can't do it myself. So teach us to pray. Do you know how to pray? Would you like to be taught to pray? Have you ever tried to pray and kind of hit a wall? And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, or I can't think of anything to say. Truth is, in 2017, you're going to do a lot. You're going to do a lot in your family, a lot in your work. Wouldn't it make sense that you called on the name of the Lord every step of the way to be daily in prayer, and throughout the day in prayer. Here's what I want to look at. Luke chapter 11. I want to look at how Jesus taught his 12 best friends and students when they ask him to teach him to prayer. So here, teach him to pray. So here's what's happening. We're in Luke chapter 11, and we're right around midway, rough estimation. We're right around midway through Jesus's three-year ministry. So right about a year and a half, and, and, and the disciples, they've been following him. They've been learning from him. They, they've been uh, listening and watching his life, kind of watching, okay, so what, what makes Jesus tick? What, why is he here? They haven't grasped all this yet, and they see all these things he's doing. They're kind of dumbfounded. They're like, why is he doing this? This doesn't make sense. This is not what I expected, they're confused about everything he's doing. And, 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 and really, they don't really grasp 
why Jesus came until after he's already died, resurrected, ascended back into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Then they're finally like, oh yeah, I get why he came. I'm gonna go to my grave for this. I will die for this. And every disciple died for the cause of Christ, except for Judas who betrayed him and the apostle John who died at right around uh, age 100 because he had other work that God had for him to do. But they committed to the cause. But at, at this point, they're, they're not the disciples, they're the disciples because they're like dumbfounded about everything that's going on and they're trying to figure this out. But after all this time learning from him, doing life with him, watching him sneak off and pray alone, one of the disciples, unnamed, finally decides to ask him. He's finally like, hey, I wonder if I should be praying this much too. Or I wonder if, it, how I should be approaching this prayer. I wonder how this plays into Jesus' life. I wonder how it should play into my life. So one of these times, Jesus had just returned from praying, and this happened. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. So Jesus keeps slipping off to a quiet place. And it wasn't to practice the Rubik's Cube. He wasn't mastering uh, any, he wasn't like mastering the flute or any brass instrument. He, was, he wasn't learning the piano. He wasn't even writing his next sermon. He was spending time in prayer, calling on the name of his father, which is a pretty cool scene that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Okay, so Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, sneaking off into the woods to pray to God. God praying to God. So if Jesus is also God, also man, it's really a tough thing to kind of get your mind around. Um, but if God on earth needs to call on God, do I not need to call on God for strength as well? He's calling on the name of his Father. And the disciples are witnessing this at every major point in his life. Prayer is taught through seeing. At every major, major occurrence in Jesus' life, you can't miss this without studying Jesus' life, prayer occurs. Every time something big, prayer. When Jesus selected his 12 disciples, prayer. When John the Baptist baptizes Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, prayer. When G, whenever Jesus asks Peter who he thinks he is and Peter says, yes, I believe you are the Christ, prayer. Later on, whenever Peter denies Christ, that he even knows him, prayer's there. And here at this scene, at the teaching of what we know of as the Lord's prayer, prayer. Prayer is present. Prayer just happened. It was frequently enough that this disciple finally took notice that every time something awesome, something major, something impactful happened in his life, he was praying. And they see this. And it's like these disciples are finally like, hey, maybe this should click for me. And they're finally like, hmm, hey, 
maybe there's something to this prayer thing. Maybe there's something to slipping away and having some quiet time with God. Maybe there's a connection to the impact of his life and ministry. Maybe there's a connection to, to people reaching out to him and asking what it means to be saved, what it means to, to really seek after God. Maybe there's a connection between his commitment to prayer and how God's using him. There's got to be a benefit to this. Maybe it's blessing. Maybe it's strength to stand firm in his faith and in his mission. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's far more than we can even imagine. But prayer is first taught by showing the discipline. And this unnamed disciple asks to be taught because he sees. Jesus demonstrated this through action, through commitment, through impact. So Jesus needed prayer in his life. And if Jesus needed it, of course the disciples needed it. And if the disciples needed it, of course I need it because I can't do anything of any supernatural value without God's work, without God showing up. I don't do, I don't do squat. If I, if I don't ask God to be a part of my messages each week when I'm preparing it and each week when I'm presenting it, it's just an oral book report, right? And, and, and that doesn't really do anybody good. I mean, you might gain a little bit of head knowledge, but it's not just, if God doesn't show up, there's not really gonna be any spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. God has to do the work. You probably hear me pray that every once in a while from up here. I pray, God, do work that I can't do. God, do work that I can't do. And it's just like with the heart change from last week. That's the only work that God can do. I can't offer that. Prayer is so vital to the life of the Christian. So vital. So Lord, teach us to pray. Here's how Jesus answers that question. We're gonna look at how he, two ways of how he answers the question. The first is, is what we see right there, one through four, and then next week we're gonna see the parable that he goes on to tell in response to this. So this is far from exhaustive series on prayer. This is just hitting how Jesus responds and teaches us to pray. So uh, beginning in verse two. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus teaches this twice and this is kind of the abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. The, the longer version you can find in Matthew 6 which he teaches during uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, for today's sake, uh, we're looking at uh, how he taught it to the disciples. So the first thing that Jesus says is when you pray. He's assuming right up front that his followers are going to pray. Why would he assume that? Well, he knows that Seth called on the name of the Lord all the way back in the second generation of humanity. But, but first of all, he assumed it because his, as his followers, we seek to be more like him and if he sees the importance of prayer, so should we. 
And, and you can't study his life. You can't look at his life without saying Jesus cares about prayer. Jesus sees value in prayer. But quite simply enough, for the follower of Jesus, prayer is the best way to communicate with God. It's the best way to communicate with a God who loves you. It's the vehicle that we have that we're blessed with to, to communicate with God daily, to have a day-long dialogue with the one who created us. It's so important, so vital to your relationship with God that it cannot be overstated. But the Lord's Prayer, as we see, is it's, it's oftentimes it's, it's, it's misused, it's misunderstood, it's abused. Some people think that it's a, a magic formula for prayer, that, that if you say it this way or exactly like it says in your version of the Bible, or if you are smart enough to read it in the original language, then there's some kind of power or influence in that, that, that God hears it and God's like, oh, that's the special prayer. I'm going to listen. I'm going to answer that one for you, versus one where you're just speaking out of your heart. So some people think that they need to recite it word for word, and that's good, but that's I don't believe the purpose because effective prayer is not measured by how long you pray or how loud you pray or how often you pray or even saying the right words over and over and over again. It's measured by the sincerity of your heart and how you humble yourself and say, Lord, here I am. Here's where I'm at. Here's why I need you. Thank you for being God. Thank you for your love. Can you please intervene on my behalf? Prayer doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be this. I, I had a, a teacher in high school that led the, he was the, the teacher uh, leader for the Bible club. And he, he said he had a leader one year that he said, this young guy was just an incredible prayer. He said he, he was just so long and beautiful, so flowery, so much passion. He said, I just knew that guy was going to do great things in his life. He said he went off to Bible college and he tried to do ministry work. And he said the guy just <whistles> plummeted, never had any success. And he said, I know exactly what it was. He said the guy could stand up in front of Bible club and he could pray beautifully. But he never established that in his own personal life. He never set roots. It was more about how I say it than why I say it and about God moving. It's not about recitation. It's not about ritual. This is a blueprint. I see this as a blueprint for prayer. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to walk through this prayer uh, fairly quickly, but I want you to remember that the most important thing isn't that you do it this way, it's that you start. The most important thing is just that you pray to God in Jesus' name and ask him to move in your life and you trust him and you build that relationship with him. If he just wants to talk to you, he just wants to be your friend, he just wants you to rest in his presence. Just like you want, to, want your child to, to talk to you. You want to get to know them. And you want them to want to get to know you. That's what he wants. He loves you that much. It's a relationship for a reason. But I want to look at the order and the content of this prayer as, as a blueprint, as a template for, for what prayer looks like uh, in our life. And 
the first thing Jesus does is he praises God, and then he makes his requests. He, he doesn't start with the shopping list. He doesn't run in and say, oh, hey, God, my back hurts, my foot hurts, my, my kids are sick. Please help the Steelers win. I, I either need a new job or a new boss, and I don't care which one you kill, but I need you to fix this because I got to get out of this situation. So, Lord, I just ask you just to, okay, fix this part of my life, this part of my life, clean it up, show me what to do. Oh, by the way, thanks for being God. Amen. He doesn't start with the shopping list, the laundry list. He starts with praise. He starts with, Lord, your name is holy, and may it remain holy for generation after generation, for all eternity, because you are God. You are awesome. You are the great I am. You're not a bunch of little gods, and, and you're the real deal. You're the creator. You made earth. You made me. You choose to love me in that anyway, and I thank you, Lord. Sometimes you'll, it's another thing you'll probably hear me do a lot when I pray from, from up here is beginning with things like, thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your steadfastness, for your enduring faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness. For salvation. Thank you for being my solid rock and my foundation. Because that puts us in the right frame of mind, and then we can be ready to kind of pour out our needs to God and start that conversation, because he wants to know. He wants to know if you're sick. He wants to know if you are unsettled in your job and you need a new boss or a new job, because he loves you, and he wants you to be happy. He wants you to smile. He wants you to enjoy your life and enjoy walking with him. But a great place to start is to say, hey, you're awesome. You're holy. Lifting his name higher and higher and higher in praise. The next thing we see is, may your kingdom come in Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus kind of answers a similar question, but really just in, in his sermon, uh, he, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is a place where God reigns. Heaven is a place where God rules and where his will is done, where, where his plans, his thoughts, his purposes, his goals triumph. And earth is a place where sin abounds, where disobedience to God is, is rampant, where, where all, all things, so many things are ruled by Satan. He's the prince of this world. And where Satan's will is done, his plans, his thoughts, his purposes, his goal. And this prayer is about asking for God's will, God's plans, God's thoughts, God's goals to come to earth like they are in heaven. This is about, Lord, bring heaven to earth. Bring more of the awesomeness that's going on up there, the holiness, the joy, the, the worship. Bring that down here. Don't leave us. Stay with us. Guide our lives. Keep on saving people from Satan, the evil prince of this world. We're seeking God's will for our world and our lives. That's what we're praying for. 
We say, Lord, I want more of heaven here. I want more of heaven in my life. There's pain and there's suffering here. And the more heaven we have, the more compassion we have, the more empathy we have, the more Christians in action we have responding to the pain and suffering. And lives are changed. Lives are improved. More heaven here. God send heaven to earth. Next thing is give us our daily bread. Now on the surface, this is daily sustenance. And, and, and it's about God providing for us what we need. Your, your food, your water, your, your clothing, your shelter, your breath. Not just bread, but steak. Everybody needs a steak sometimes, right? God providing for us and trusting that he's going to take care of our needs. I like my steaks medium rare, if you wanted to know. But on the spiritual level, this is about asking God for our daily spiritual nourishment and recognizing in humble dependence that we need him. That he is the substance of our life. That he is the sustenance that we need. And your, your relationship with Jesus is your daily sustenance. It is your daily bread. It's what keeps you going. In fact, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Meaning, he is your spiritual nourishment. Not just your relationship with God is your spiritual nourishment, but Jesus himself. Jesus himself is our spiritual nourishment. So, as you sit here today, if you're running low on faith or strength or joy or any of the fruits of the Spirit, ask yourself, how long have you been away from the source? You feel spiritually dry, spiritually empty, far from God. Jesus just wants us to call on his name and ask him for our daily dose of nourishment. Anytime somebody asks me, you know, they feel really dry in your faith, you feel really far away from God, or you're not really sure if you believe anymore, one of the first things I'm going to say is, have you been praying and reading your Bible? When's the last time you attended a, a Christian church service? And, and I know those, those are simple things, and that everyone, you know, people are like, well, yeah, well, those are just the three big ones. You know, read your Bible, pray, and come to church. Of course, the pastor's going to say that, right? But it's more than that. It, it, it really is the foundational to your relationship with God. It's foundational to your growth is to spend time in the presence of your Savior. And if you want to know what God has to say for the will for your life, Read the Bible is a great place to start. That's the will for your life. It's not gonna, you're not going to open it up and say, you know, quit your job and, and, and move to New York City. But you're going to see what it means to, to, to follow God and how he's calling all Christians to live in obedience to him. And out of that will come God speaking to you on more specific things of where he wants you to go and who he wants you to be. But you need prayer. You need nourishment. You need to go to Jesus and, and, and find that nourishment because he is your daily bread. The next is ask for forgiveness with an asterisk. Forgive our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. When Jesus taught his disciples to, about forgiveness, 
He taught that forgive, he, when he taught them about prayer, he made forgiveness the cornerstone of their relationship with God. Because God has forgiven our sins, now he expects us to forgive those who have wronged us. See, to remain unforgiving towards others shows that, that we haven't fully wrapped our, our minds or our hearts around the severity of our needs to be forgiven. The, the, to realize, to really understand that we, we needed the blood of Christ for us to be saved. And, and, and sometimes we think about people that have wronged us and we kind of hold back, we kind of pull back. Sometimes we think about people that wrong us and, 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 and a certain person will come to mind pretty quickly, somebody obvious, and say, okay, so who's wronged you? That, that, have you forgiven everyone? And somebody pops into your head. I have an uncle that pops into my head pretty quick. When I was, I was really, really sick, and instead of letting me stay in my grandparents' Florida trailer, he threw us in a hotel. I puking my guts out. It was awful. And I need to deal with that. I'll be honest. I need to deal with that. But every time his name comes up in my family, I'm like, Ugh, you know? comes to mind real quick. But then there's other things where, where uh, certain situations kind of pop up in your mind and, and, and you think, you know, maybe you're, you, you know, you're, you're driving down the road and, you, and something happens or you, you make a mistake or uh, you're working on something at home and you make a mistake and somebody pops into your mind from your past and you're like, oh, if so-and-so was here, they'd, they'd really be making fun of me right now. That happens to me all the time. I think of all these friends from college and I'm like, Ugh, you make me mad. I know these are lighthearted things, but those are areas where we need to kind of give up and release and stop harboring bitterness towards. How would you like it if God handled forgiveness for you the way you handle forgiveness for other people? That's the prayer. Do you forgive other people? And the last one is, lead us not into temptation. So this one's a little bit kind of confusing, but this is the final petition uh, addressing the battle with sin that every believer is going to face. Here, we're, uh, Jesus is teaching us to ask God to spare us from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin and the pain and trials that will cause us to doubt our faith. Ask God to, to not lead me into temptation. Now, God doesn't directly tempt believers, but he, he does lead us into situations that will test us, to challenge us, to grow us, through trials and hardships that are inevitable. And, and the book of James tells us to count it all joy because through these trials and through overcoming these, God strengthens us in our faith. We grow up as we overcome these things by God's strength. Temptation will come. But a believer just shouldn't be praying for temptation. This Lead us not into temptation. It's not lead me into temptation so I can grow. Those things are going to happen but you shouldn't pray for it. I, in fact, you're being taught to pray the other way. I, I know a, 
uh, a girl in college that she she wanted to have an awesome testimony. Uh, To me, this was a little odd, but uh, she wanted to have an awesome testimony. So what she did was she prayed for God to give her an addiction that she could overcome and then tell everybody about it and that that would grow her in her faith. And now she'd just be able to go around and be like, hey, look what I did. Look what God did through me. That's awesome. That's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not a biblical request. It's the opposite of a biblical request. And, and, and not, not to put her down. She's a great Christian girl uh, just growing in her faith at that time as well, like the rest of us. But um, the Lord... The prayer is, Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but when temptation comes, when trials come, when, whenever I, I'm in that moment, I pray you'll deliver me. I pray that you will drag me out of that. I pray that you will pull me out of that. I pray that you will set me free from that. I pray that you will take care of me. It's like admitting to God in the morning when you're still in your bedroom Admitting to God that this day could get ugly and that there are absolutely some sin paths that I am tempted to go down. And when the desire of my sin nature meets an opportunity to go down this path, instead of hooking up with this sin opportunity, please, Lord, give me the power to turn point face and run the other direction. Lord, give me what I need when this happens to get out. Have you prayed for that? Have you wanted that? Have you wanted to be free and delivered from temptation? Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, protect us from temptation. Give me what I need when that happens because I know it's coming. Show me how to count it all joy whenever I suffer for your name. And that's Jesus' blueprint for prayer. Some of the older manuscripts, uh, if you have an old King James version of the Bible, uh, it may still be in some others, uh, this would end with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. So at the end of the prayer, it's all yours. Glory be to you forever. Amen. So the blueprint, now this is just, this is a blueprint. This isn't a mandatory, this isn't a ritual, this isn't a recitation, this isn't, okay, I make a list at home and if I don't hit all of these, then God's not gonna listen to my prayer. This is a blueprint, a template. Now, I mean, when you think about blueprints, like when we, you know, we remodel this building, we have a blueprint and, and the, the construction workers follow the blueprint uh, as perfectly as they can. But uh, when I get a template, so maybe that's a different thing there. If I get a template on, on my computer on word processor, I, I, I rip and tear that thing and I just use the bones that I need. So maybe template's a little bit better for this to, to explain it to you guys. But basically, here's what it says. I mean, it's praise God. Just praise him. Thank him for who he is. And then, and then ask him for his will to be on earth like it is in heaven. And then thank him for daily spiritual nourishment. Ask for forgiveness, assuming that you're forgiving as well. Ask for protection in temptation. And then say, hey, Lord, it's all yours for your fame, 
for your glory. And now it's up to you how you handle what I'm giving you because I trust you no matter what. I trust you if this 60 seconds isn't going to be everything I want because I believe that God is going to answer these prayers in the way that he sees fit in the best way for you in ways that you don't understand. You might think that, we might think that we know what we want, but we, we don't always understand the whole picture. And then the whole lamp unto my feet thing comes into play again, where God's just going to show you just enough to keep you taking one more step. Prayer. A blueprint. But bigger than this blueprint is the practice. 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 Just start to pray. And, and maybe for you, it's not even about words. Maybe it's about learning to rest in the presence of God. Because if you've ever had a conversation with somebody that uh, never stops talking, it's kind of exhausting. It's, it's not a, a conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a monologue. It, it, it's somebody that tells you all about their life, but they never take a breath and let you chime in. Those are harder conversations. And, and when God says relationship with you, there's some listening involved in that. There's some sitting there and saying, okay, Lord, that's what I have today. Thank you. Please speak to me. And just rest and say, Lord, where do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? Where are you leading me? It's a conversation of spending time together. It's about learning to be in tune with God. Don't overcomplicate it. Just pray. Just start. And the Holy Spirit will give you more and more and more. Because as a believer, if you've gotten saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have access to God living in you. And you can pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And you can pray for more of God in your life and in your heart. Jesus' template on prayer. Please, please pray with me. Father God, you are awesome. You are steadfast. You are faithful. You are so loving and so forgiving, and I praise you for that. God, we pray that your will will be done in our church. We pray that your will will be done in the lives and the hearts of everybody here. And Lord, I pray you'll do work that I cannot do. I pray that you will for, forgive us and teach us to forgive as you forgive. Lord, we just give it all to you. And I praise you for this template. I praise you for an answer to the question. Lord, teach us to pray. And my prayer now is that everybody here will go from this place a little bit more equipped to call on your name, a little bit more equipped and a little bit more desiring to uh, spend some time in prayer and to see the value and how awesome of an impact their life can have if it's laced in prayer. So Lord, we thank you for your spiritual nourishment that you give us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.